and this is Danielle Harris, and you are listening to Rock Video Rental. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Rock Video Rental. I am Brandon, and with me, as always, is Caleb. Uh, we're continuing on with the Halloween series, and we are going to be talking about Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers from 1995. It is directed by Joe Chappelle, and the plot is, six years after Michael Myers has last terrorized Haddonfield, he returns there in pursuit of his niece, Jamie Lloyd, who has escaped with her newborn child for which Michael and a mysterious cult have sinister plans. What a stupid plot. <laughs> what, like, why do they feel like they have to have, like, an origin? Why do they feel that they have to have a cult involved? But we'll get to that. <laughs> right. Can, can I ask you something? And maybe you know this. Hopefully I'm not stealing something from later. Yeah. But did they do this in uh not retaliation but kind of like in follow-up because friday the 13th did jason goes to hell because i saw so many similarities um that's a good question i guess i never really thought about that yeah because i feel like jason goes to hell is kind of like an origin story for jason because they talk more about the whole like how do you kill him and you know why is he the way he is? And then I saw a lot of that in this movie. Which is kind of funny because, you know, the Friday 13th series was created as a ripoff of Halloween. Yeah. So but I've never heard anybody mention that. It's kind of funny and it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I am the smartest man alive. No. Anyways, oh, all right. In, into so, the amazing yeah. thing that's Halloween 6. So, yeah, cast. We got Donald Pleasance returning for the last time in his very last movie as Dr. Loomis. Uh, Paul Rudd, that makes his debut as Tommy Doyle. Marianne Hagen as Kara Strode. Mitchell Ryan as Dr. Wynn. Kim Darby as Deborah Strode. Bradford English as John Strode. Keith Bogert as Tim Strode. J.C. Brandy this time as Jamie Lloyd. Here's a a funny thing here. This guy's name, and only fans of Michigan football will laugh at this, but Devin Gardner as Danny Strode. <laughs> yeah, I saw that name. And George P. Wilbur returns as Michael. Yeah, this movie, this is a polarizing one. I guess polarizing means that there might be some people that really enjoy this movie. And there's not many people that I've talked to that really enjoy it. Um, either you think it's one of the worst or you're just kind of like, eh, with it. Either you hate it or you really hate it. <laughs> either you hate it or you're just annoyed by it. <laughs> I'm kind of, I don't know. You know, before I get like too far into it, I'll just say that I don't think it's as terrible as a lot of people say. I mean, it's not great, but so this one starts off with a recap Friday 13th style of what happened in part five. (laughs) Hooray. Um, I guess, you know, this one came out six years after the last one. So it kind of makes sense to do that. Just to catch people up. (laughs) But we see like some new scenes of Michael getting uh, thrown into a van, which is hilarious. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like, this guy can kill whoever he wants. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, please don't hurt me when you throw me in the van. Yeah. Um, so the man in black that we saw a couple glimpses of in the last one is ends up being a leader of a Druid like cult which honestly just makes me think of the undertaker. <laughs> uh, and I almost wish they would have had the undertaker play Michael in this. Cause that would have been great. That <laughs> Michael would have been a little more imposing too. Cause the undertaker's like six ten. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
then we see that Jamie is giving birth and uh, the man in black comes and takes the child away. Uh, and then later on, we see this like nurse show up and she helps Jamie escape with her baby. Um, but then, you know, of course, the nurse gets offed. And I'll, I'll get into all the kills and stuff at the end like I normally do. But so now Jamie's like trying to get away. She takes a truck and she goes to like a bus station. What's and, that? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, man, I think the last time I went to a bus station is when I lived in Pennsylvania and my wife came and saw me when she was still living in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my grandfather used to drive. Oh my God. My grandfather used to drive Greyhound buses there. Right. Done. <laughs> yeah. That was what my wife took was a Greyhound bus. And that was like, nine years ago something like that <laughs> anyway so um she gets to the station and now we see like there's this uh radio show with this like shock jack talking who's a complete ripoff of howard stern <laughs> <laughs> and uh dr lubis is listening to it because it's all about haddonfield and we find out that he's retired and he like lives in the middle of nowhere um and he's basically like a hermit which is a perfect place for a horror movie and somebody just to come and kill him but you oh know. yeah for sure i mean it happened to alice and friday the 13th part two um so like his colleague former colleague dr Wynn shows up and um he wants loomis to return to smith's grove sanitarium uh and they overhear, like, Jamie, she calls the, the shock chat guy and pleads for help. And, you know, of course, the DJ, his name's Barry Sims. Uh, he just, like, ignores it because he's like, okay, this person's crazy. And she's, like, asking for help for Dr. Loomis. And, you know, Dr. Loomis is just like, okay, something's going on. Michael's back. <laughs> Like his, his spider sense was tingling yeah michael michael <laughs> sense was tingling uh, and you know i have to mention before we too, get too far in this movie that you and i watched the producer's cut because there's two cuts of this movie so when i talk about the scenes here i'll just be you know everything that happens in a producer's cut and i'll explain the theatrical cut later on and compare them. But so um, Michael ends up stabbing Jamie and um, she ends up getting like, you assume she's dead and then like they find her and she's not. (laughs) And like she hid the baby and you know they take her to the hospital she's in like severe condition uh you know at the same time of dr loomis hearing the the story tommy doyle a character from the first one played by paul rudd hears it as well and he's listening carefully in the background he's got replaying and everything and then he hears that she's like at a bus station somehow he figures out which bus station and he finds the baby and nobody else has (laughs) Yeah, and nobody else has, even though it was like screaming in the bathroom. I mean, people the baby just hear had to be starving because it was like from the night before. Yeah, pe- people hear it, but they're just ignoring it because it's just like that ain't my baby. Oh, yeah, it's just like somebody dr- dumped that off. That's not mine. But, but um, <laughs> so like now we meet the Strode family. Of course, they live in the old Michael Myers house because why not? Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Um, we get to meet like the new, the quote unquote new um, Lori, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> With her name is Kara, and she has a son um, named Danny who 
oh, that kid just annoys me. I don't know if it's just like his look with his dopey looking bowl cut and his weird facial expressions that the kid just drives me nuts in this movie. Yeah, it was weird, awkward. Yeah, and we get like kind of the cool younger brother who's, you know, he's good with Danny and Danny like thinks he's really cool. So he tries to act like him kind of thing. And we get uh, the dad who's a complete jerk, <laughs> like just a complete dick. It's <laughs> <laughs> easy to say. But then we get the mom who, man, I've seen this movie probably like five times before this. I would say I used to own it on VHS and I watched it a few times. Not one of my favorite in the series, so it's not one I like return to a lot. But this time I was like, gosh, like, could they have made her any more like unfeminine and unattractive? <sighs> and then I was thinking, like, oh my gosh, she looks like the old Dana Carvey Saturday Night Live character of the church lady. <laughs> 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 That's like all I could think of the entire time when she was on here. Uh, so no, now that we're like introduced to all the main characters uh, and we know that like Michael's coming and uh, Loomis finds out that you know that really was Lord, not Lord, Jamie uh, calling on the radio and asking him for help he goes to the hospital, that's when Tommy shows up and he tells him about the Strode family living in the Myers house and he gets run off by security because he's just nuts. <laughs> and, which is funny because he's kind of taken over um, Dr. Loomis's craziness. Yeah. Which is a pretty subdued Loomis in this. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, he's trying to say that, you know, this baby that I have is Jamie's baby. And it's like Loomis doesn't want to believe it. But then, like, he finds out that it is Jamie's baby. <laughs> like, I don't, this is so jumbled. It's so jumbled. Oh, yeah. Um, so now Tommy and Kara go into, like, Tommy's house. And then he believes that, he tells him that he believes that Michael has been inflicted by the thorn uh, curse. curse. Yeah. And that... Uh, like the story gives his backstory about a child from each tribe has chosen to bear the curse of the thorn and must sacrifice its next of kin in the night of Samhain. Yeah, to avoid Halloween. like plagues and yeah, bad stuff. <laughs> that he like Tommy believes that Stephen, who's the baby, will be Michael's final sacrifice. You know, because Jamie's Jamie gets killed prior to this. I have to mention by. A gunshot to the head in a hospital. It always amazes me how easy it is for these people to bring in guns to a hospital. <sighs> and like there's no one around with this woman who's in an intensive care, basically. Dude, it was uh wait, when nineties? Yeah, what? that's true. Yeah. Yeah, you could do almost anything in the nineties. Take, as... take a rocket launcher <laughs> on an airplane and no one cares. You couldn't get away as much as you could in the 80s, but you still got away with a lot in the 90s. Yeah, in the 80s, when you get pulled over for drinking and driving, they just take your beer from you and tell you to go home. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, later that night, Tommy goes out to look for Dr. Loomis, and then the crazy Mrs. Blankenship, who lives with Tommy, reveals to Kara that she was babysitting Michael the night that he killed his sister, which is BS because that was never shown in the first movie. Yeah. Like he was there with his sister. Um, and then at like the whole movie, Danny's hearing this voice that sounds like Dr. Claw from inspector gadget, <laughs> like telling him to kill people, um, you know, just like Michael did. It's, it's kind of like, Hinting at the fact that like Danny might have the power of Thorn as well. It's, yeah, but it's never really fully explained because this movie is so jumbled. Yeah, absolutely. It was super weird, totally unnecessary. Um, <laughs> on it, well, not to jump too far ahead, but honestly, it seemed like they could have taken Danny out and still had this movie. Oh, for sure. Um, 
and you it's funny that you say unnecessary because i mean really was this movie necessary (laughs) (laughs) yeah because we had to see loomis one more time and we had that crazy ending at the end of the fifth one i guess um but anyway so now we start getting like michael shows up and he kills mr strode kills tim kills tim's girlfriend beth and the, the shock Strode. jack guy and Mrs. Strode, the church lady. Though <laughs> no, it's like Danny and Kara, they escape. They get to Tommy and Loomis, um, where like the cult arrives at the that house that Tommy's living in. We find out that like Mrs. Blankenship is one of the cult members. <gasps> no, and, the, and then we find out the man in black is Doctor Wynn. Mm-hmm. Which is stupid. Which was easy to figure out. Uh, So the cult, like, (laughs) they drug Lubus and Tommy, and they take care of Danny and the baby to Smith's Grove, which, that's hilarious when they realize that they were drugged because, like, they both wake up, and Paul Rudd's just like, I feel like I've been drugged, and Dr. Lubus is like, it's because you have been. (laughs) (laughs) And we're perfectly fine now, though. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um so now they have to like go and rescue them and like Kara's locked in this like maximum security ward. Uh while like her son and the baby are kept in an operating room. Um Loomis shows up and he confronts Dr. Wynn. Uh who like Tells them that the staff has been uh, working with the cult to study the power of, of Thorn and learn how to control it. Uh, it's like they're kind of hinting at like Stephen is a result of the experiments that clone Michael's pure evil. <laughs> pure evil. And then they want to use Danny and Kara to create another one. So, um, of course, like Loomis refuses to join them and he gets knocked out. Uh, Tommy shows up and he frees Kara. And then Michael comes after him. Uh, And they're like running through this long hallway with like a strobing light for whatever reason. I mean, it's a sanitarium. Like, why is there a strobing light? They're trying to get away. Uh, Michael's like bearing down on them. And Tommy has this idea to put a bunch of stones in a circle. And Michael comes running up. Uh, Loomis, or Michael doesn't come running up. Michael comes walking up. <laughs> Loomis, uh, like, rescues Kara and. Danny and the baby and Tommy stays back. Michael comes after him and he grabs Tommy around the throat and lifts him in the air. And Michael's inside this circle of stones and Tommy says, Sam Hain. <laughs> and it like freezes Michael and he can't move. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> out of all of the ways that Michael has like quote unquote met his end in these movies. He gets stopped by a circle of rocks on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to mention too that Tommy does cut his hand and smear it on the floor. Yes, on the floor of a sanitarium, which I, is totally sanitary. Yeah, which I, I guess works. <laughs> then, you know, Tommy escapes and he tells Dr. Loomis, like, you know, he took care of Michael and. Dr. Lubis uh, says he's got like unfinished business and then he goes back um, sees Michael laying on the ground and he pulls Michael's mask off to show that it's Dr. Wynn and then Dr. Wynn <laughs> says something about Lubis uh, being the one now and then like he like dies and then Dr. Lubis has like sign of a thorn show up on his wrist and that he screams like a madman. <laughs> no! 
And yep, end of movie. And we see um, Michael dressed as a man in black escaping. <laughs> yeah, Which like it's ridiculous. What, like what? 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 Yes. So many what's like. Oh man. Yeah, dude. Um. So. This movie. Man, I feel bad for Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Because he is such he was such a great actor, and this movie is completely waste him, and like he just like a shell of what he used to be. You could tell that he was in bad shape. He sounded like he was tired the whole time, and he kind of had that the old man kind of <gasps> thing going. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, this was his last movie that he made, so it was just kind of a sad way for him to go out. Yeah, I mean, like he still, I feel like he still did all right. I mean, all in all, for his condition and everything. Yeah. But as yeah, like his performance was all right. I, um, but yeah, the movie as a whole just was huge, huge disappointment. Yeah, and you know there wasn't the great dialogue. You know, we always talk about like the crazy Loomis lines. Where, you know, in the first one, he says he's got the, the darkest eyes, the devil's eyes. And, you know, the second one, my favorite, you don't know what death is. And, um, you know, the in the last movie where he says, I, you know, I prayed that he would go to hell, but I knew in my heart that hell would not have him. Which, like, these, like, awesomely just crazy lines that only Dr. Loomis could say. Um, and this one, he doesn't have that. He really is... So, you know, I can get in a little bit of the difference between the theatrical and the producer's cut. Okay. Because it kind of goes with, like, the lack of Loomis in this. So, at, at the beginning, um, in the theatrical cut, which is what I used to have on VHS. So, I think this is maybe, like, my second time I've seen the producer's cut. You know, because we watched this in streaming. Which so a little bit of backstory, um, they released the producer's cut as a test, and it was hated so much that they went back and shot more footage, and then they recut it into the theatrical cut. Um, the producer's cut was thought to be lost until like the early two thousands, where it huh. showed up and like people were bootlegging it. And it was like really low quality, like VHS um, footage. And then years after that, just like a few years ago, it was actually re-released on Blu-ray and like fully cleaned up and like the quality that we watched it in. Hmm. Um, So at the beginning of the movie in the theatrical cut, Jamie dies by being impaled on like a wheat thresher like a big piece of farm equipment by Michael yep. where, you know, in the producer's cut, she is stabbed, she survives. And then she goes to the hospital where she's shot in the head. Oh, um, another big change is Mr. Strode's death. So in the theatrical cut, well, let's, let's say in the producer's cut, he's electrocuted. You know, Michael stabs a butcher knife into him and it goes into him and into the power box. And electrocutes him. Um, in the theatrical cut, the same thing happens, but then Mr. Strode's head explodes, which is awesome because that guy was such a jerk. He deserved it. <laughs> uh, so probably one of the craziest things. So like Jamie's baby is not fully explained in the producer's cut, like who the father is. It's kind of just, you know, implied that maybe like she is just inseminated somehow by this cult. Mm-hmm. Dude, get this. So in the theatrical cut, guess who the father is? Michael? Yes. Yeah, didn't they kind of address that in the... Uh, it's kind of hinted at, but like the theatrical cut is more like in your face about it. Okay. <laughs> Where they show almost like the ceremonial like rape seed i guess 
like you don't really see anything but like michael walks towards her um so you know he's basically uncle dad <laughs> yeah so messed up so the another thing here uh when he gets to the sanitarium in the theatrical cut michael goes on a killing spree in the building uh and there's like a lot more of him in the final scenes and then not as much of dr loomis but in the producer's cut there's more dr loomis and not as much michael at the end well guess what both ways would suck either way (laughs) right so it's like give and take it was like what do you want more of michael or dr loomis (laughs) can't have both the end is probably the biggest thing so in the version we watched producer's cut tommy spreads out the stones and stops michael on his tracks which was a pretty crappy ending. So which one's worse? We got the theatrical ending where Tommy just beats Michael down with a lead pipe. <laughs> he just stands there and just beats the crap out of him with probably like a three foot lead pipe. Uh, and then okay. like Michael has blood coming out of his mask. That's green. Oh my God. And it's like this weird strobe effect. Dude, you got to look it up. It's pretty terrible. And this is the original ending I saw because I had the VHS that had the theatrical cut on it. Okay. Well, then this ending, the ending we saw was definitely better then. Yeah, but still stupid. Oh, yeah. Still stupid, <laughs> but at least it kind of like lined up with the whole like, voodoo, <laughs> boop a doo junk. Yeah. Yeah. Michael was like tranquilized and like weakened, and Tommy beat him down with the pipe. <laughs> So after that, you know, we get the scene where Dr. Loomis said that he has one more thing he has to do. He goes back in the building and um and the producer's cut, you know, he unmasked Michael, which is actually when and then he becomes like Michael's caretaker almost. You know, he gets that that thorn symbol show up on his wrist and he screams. Mm-hmm. In the theatrical cut, Loomis goes back in and we just see like the mask laying on the ground with a needle next to it. And then we hear Dr. Loomis scream. What? And then they just play the Halloween theme and that's the end of it. What? So there's nothing with, with Michael being the man in black. <laughs> nothing with Dr. Wynn. Yeah, that's the ending of it. I don't know which one's more confusing. And it's the same scream too. Ah! <laughs> no! Ah! Yeah, you should just copy the scream from what was it, Halloween Four? No, no, <laughs> no. Classic. Uh, so those are all the differences there. The main differences. Um, There's an interesting thought I had watching it this time. So Michael's curse is that he has to kill his whole bloodline, right? And Jamie yep. is the last one. So. Why don't you know they want and they want to like continue on with the baby and everything, but they were also going to continue on with Danny and Kara. Yeah. So why even rape Jamie to create an inbred family member to Michael if the goal was just to erase the Myers family? Yeah. Like why don't you just kill Jamie and then you're done? And then if you have the ability to pass on Michael's evilness. Or like create recreate Michael's evil evilness. Like why didn't they just go get Danny and Kara? <laughs> like mm-hmm. why this whole thing with just kill Jamie? It makes me think of Austin Powers, where um Dr. Evil's explaining how he's gonna kill Austin Powers. And, um <clears throat> Scott Evil's just like he's like, why don't you just kill him right now? He's like, You just don't get it, do you? And he's like, no, just get a gun and just shoot him right now. And he's dead. You don't have to worry about it. He's like, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put him in this over-elaborate <laughs> mechanism and then close the doors and just assume he's dead. <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> That's what just made me think of. Like, just kill JD off and then end a movie. <laughs> yeah, right? It exactly. It complicates things. I thought about that, too, where how they were saying Danny was essentially going to be the next one. So it's just like, what's the point of the baby? And like, what's the point of Jamie even surviving or whatever? Right. Like they could have just taken Jamie completely out, taken the baby out and then focused on Danny. Or 
if they had, or they could have done the opposite where, okay, focus on Jamie and the baby, but then get rid of Danny. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. This movie. It's funny. It's a movie that has two cuts and both of them are pretty bad. Yeah. I would say the one that we watched is probably better. Um, but not by much. <laughs> uh, and also, is it the only producer's cut to exist? Because usually it's a director's cut. Yeah, it's weird because on the site that I'm looking at, um, it has a list of the deaths. And in one part of the notes, it says in the producer's cut, blah, blah, blah. Then another one, it says in the director's cut. Yeah. So, you know, I always, that's actually a good way to transition here. So I always go through the kills in these movies and I went with the theatrical cut kills because there's more and this like covers all of them. So there's 17 of them. So Mary was the nurse that helped Jamie escape. Her head was impaled on a spike, which that one was kind of brutal. Um, There's a dude that owns a truck that Jamie takes his head gets or his neck gets snapped. Um, That was like super easy for Michael to do. Like he's Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie. (laughs) Uh, So uh, JB is the next one to die. She gets stabbed, but then she gets shot in the hospital. Um, And then in like the theatrical cut, you know, she gets impaled on the farming equipment, but uh, Mrs. Strode, the church lady, she gets an axe to the chest. Mr. Strode gets electrocuted and then his head explodes, which you, you got to look that up too, because a, a head explosion in a movie is always a great thing. <laughs> uh, so Barry Sims, a.k.a. the wish.com version of Howard Stern, uh, gets gutted with a knife. Uh, Tim Strode gets his throat slit. Beth gets stabbed. A sanitarium patient gets gutted. Dr. Wynn gets hacked up with a machete. Dr. Bonham gets hacked up with a machete. And then four characters just referred to as doctors get hacked up with a machete. This is the the crazy rampage they had with Michael in the theatrical cut. A nurse also gets macheted. And then a doctor gets his head crushed up against the bars of a cell. And that is it. That's all 17. Woohoo. So none of them are really all that great. Um, I The head impaled on a spike was effective, but what the heck was that spike doing Dude, on a wall of a sanitarium? I thought the exact same thing. I was just like, oh, <laughs> that's convenient. Yeah, it's not like it was a hook that like you'd hang your coat on or something, you know? It's legit just a spike in the wall. <laughs> And in a sane asylum. <laughs> like, okay. Um, the other oh, the other one was when Mr. Strode's head explodes, but that's only in the theatrical cut. Yeah. So I can get into trivia now. Got quite a bit here. So this is, I mentioned, this is Paul Rudd's debut film. It was filmed before Clueless, and it was his first big screen appearance. So, Jamie, I mentioned, was in this one. Well, she was recasted because Danielle Harris wanted to reclaim her role as Jamie, but turned it down when Dimension Films refused to pay her $5,000 that she wanted. Harris stated in the interview that when her agent learned that the filmmakers were looking to cast an actress who was at least 18 or older, um... And she was only 17, but wanted to do the movie enough that she got herself emancipated from her parents at the suggestion of the filmmakers so she could work longer hours without having to go to school. Uh, Harris spent time and thousands of dollars on a legal process, but ultimately turned down the film due to her dissatisfaction with the character's story and Dimension's refusal to pay her salary that would have recovered like her legal fees. Of getting emancipated. Um, she also stated that she eventually met uh, JC Brandy, who played Jamie, and they actually ended up being friends. And uh, 
JC Brandy was also said that she was treated kind of poorly on the set because Harris turned down the role. Mm. So Daniel Ferens was the writer of this. Um, he was the one that suggested the film be called The Curse of Michael Myers due to the trouble in production. <laughs> yeah. And the original title of the movie was Halloween 666, The <sighs> Origin of Michael Myers. That's funny. Yeah. Um, there are also, there's also even existing ad prints and early trailers of that with that title. And then later it became Halloween 6. And then finally, just Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Hmm. So four years after the release of this film, the only way to watch producer's cut was bootleg copies with poor video and audio quality. Um, I mentioned that earlier. It was on September 2014 when Shout Factory released a producer's cut on Blu-ray. Completely restored it. And it was part of their Halloween complete collection. Um, It was finally given an individual release by Miramax the following year though all the bonus features from the Shell Factory collection were not included. Which Shell Factory, that Shell Factory, God, I can't say it, Shell Factory actually makes some pretty awesome um, DVD collections and Blu-ray collections. They usually have like documentaries and stuff thrown in there. So this is the only Halloween movie in the entire series to be filmed in the fall. (laughs) Which is hilarious. Uh, so Deborah and John Strode were named after John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who produced the first B films. Uh, many of the crew have gone on the record to state that director Joe Chappelle told them on the outset that he didn't like the Halloween films and was only involved in this project because they got him a three-picture deal with Miramax. Uh the next two films after this were both Miramax releases that he did. Mm. So um, I got a few in here that were like kind of casting what ifs. So Peter Jackson was asked to direct this movie and he turned it down. Oh gosh. Yeah. Imagine that. I kind of want to see that one. (laughs) Yeah. That it would have been interesting for sure, but yeah. Uh, Howard Stern was actually offered the role of Barry Sims and he turned it down. Oh, that would be so they completely just ripped him off. Yeah, that would have been funny. Yeah. Um, Scott Spiegel was going to direct the movie as well. And Quentin Tarantino was set to produce and that those plans fell through. That would have been interesting as well. Yeah, I bet it would have been more successful. Oh, probably way more. (laughs) So, um, Many of Donald Pleasant's scenes were cut because Chappelle found him boring. And Donald Pleasant's passed away while the movie was headed into reshoots. So the whole scene with him just screaming and they show that mask with the needle at the end was because they couldn't get him. And some of the other reshoots, he had a body double because he passed away. Hmm. So this is an interesting thing that I actually took this from... Uh, James Rolfe from Cinemassacre. He said, this movie completes the Pink Panther series with the titles that they have for these. So part four is the return. You know, in Halloween is Return of Michael Myers. Pink Panther is the return of the Pink Panther. Part five is the revenge. And part six is the curse. (laughs) It's like, was that planned? Or is that just crazy coincidence that is weird <laughs> right and then the last thing i got is this movie had a five million dollar budget and it made 15.1 in the box office yeah. which not a big not a big turnaround but you know made three times as much as it cost yeah so let's jump right into grades <laughs> uh pulled from the two sources as normal what do you think imdb is uh Oh, 3.5? No, that's a 4.8. Oh, okay. Which, I don't know. I, I, I guess I get it. 
you know, if you told me it was 3.5 and I got on there and it was 3.5, then I'd be like, yep, that's about right. It's <laughs> about right. Yeah. So Rotten Tomatoes was a critic in an audience. What, do you, what are those? Uh, critic, let's do 40%. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm way too high, probably. Yeah. Nine. Nine. Okay. Nine percent. Um, I will say that the audience is more favorable. Uh, 32%. Close. 37. Okay. Yeah. So do you want to give your grade or do you want me to go first? Um, I'll give my grade. Uh, so this um, following up with, after Halloween 5, I will say this. It was This was more entertaining to me. It was not as boring and uh, like as far as just watching it, but as far as like the content, it was a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. Um, some things I liked about it. I liked that I felt more invested in it and there was more suspense to it where Halloween five was slow and dragging and you were just waiting for something exciting to happen. Yeah. And this one, as you said, it was filmed during the fall it actually felt like a Halloween movie because in Halloween five, and I mentioned this in the last episode, it was just like, it was way too bright, way too nice, way too sunny most of the time and everything. Mm -hmm. It did not feel like it was supposed to be a horror movie. Yeah. It didn't feel like fall in Illinois. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So this one at least was catering to that. But then so many things messed up with this. I mean, I don't really need to state it again, but I mean, just like why the baby, why Danny, um, what was going on with the direction here? Why do you have to deal with origins? The man in black, like what they, they totally did not have a tied um, something set when they had the man in black in part five because they just had a new writer and completely wung it mm-hmm. or winged it together. I don't know how you express that or whatever, but yeah, it was just such a mess. And, you know, Michael, who's always unstoppable all of a sudden isn't like, first of all, he gets captured and taken and then he's kept for six years and he's like timid or yeah. tame or however you want it. Like, None of it under their control. Yeah. Like all the other stuff was him being held captive and kept drugged up or things like that, where that makes sense. This is just like, you see him walking around and it's just like, so they just put him in the sanitarium and we're just like, okay, hang out here for six years until we need you to impregnate your niece. (laughs) Like, right. Until she gets old enough to get impregnated. Like what? Why did they, uh, now they try to explain? They tried to explain everything, but it was just so bad. Mm-hmm. So, my grade for this is actually going to be the same for Halloween Five. I'm giving it a two again. Um, mainly is because while this is more of a jumbled mess, it was more watchable and entertaining to me. So it was kind of like. Uh, a give and take scenario where Halloween five had a better plot and concept behind it and felt, and the story felt more like Halloween. But as far as like the movie and the experience and the entertainment factor that brought Halloween six up, to the same level so i'm putting it on the same plane as halloween five so i'm at a two for this rock um yours is a little more favorable than mine um you know while halloween five is boring at times and has kind of slow moments uh you know some of the kills are pretty decent and the person playing michael i feel like did a decent job in it uh you know we still get Daniel Harris is Jamie, who I thought did a pretty good job in it. We get crazy Dr. Loomis, which is entertaining. And, you know, you can blame part five for 
partially for how bad this one is because they had to try to build off from that ending, which, you know, a lot of people say that. And I'm thinking too, like, why couldn't they just ignore, ignore part of the ending like they did with at the end of four? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, or it's like where Jamie kills her stepmom. Why couldn't they just ignore mm-hmm. that uh, some guy in black came and got Michael? Uh, and I think the whole idea of Michael being just some pawn in for a cult is just beyond stupid and it weakens the character and weakens his impact in this movie yeah. and michael is barely even in this movie mm-hmm. you know you only see him for like a, maybe a total of two minutes in the whole dang movie um i was actually surprised though like how fast this one went by where i feel like part five feels like the longest of the bunch Mm-hmm. Just because it's so slow paced, this one's faster paced, but the acting is worse. Uh, I mean, Paul Rudd is horrible in this movie, <laughs> and it just amazes me that he went on to be such a decent, like, good actor. Yeah, and like versatile actor, and just like an overall likable person because he has none of those qualities in this movie. <laughs> He's so wooden. He keeps the same tone the whole time. And like his character is just a straight up creeper. Like he's he's like spying on Kara, watching her get dressed. And oh, we're supposed to be like sympathetic for this guy, and like he comes across, you know, he's supposed to be kind of unhinged because of something, you know, because he had watched a whole bunch of people get murdered in the first movie. But. I don't know. And the, so like Tommy Doyle in the first movie, wasn't he blonde? He was like a little blonde boy. And now he's got like black hair. <laughs> it's Paul Rudd. <laughs> like, I don't know. Just a lot of that. There's so many things that are shoehorned into this. Like this is Blankenship saying that she was Michael's babysitter the night that he killed his sister. And it's just like, so either, you know, we find out she's in on the plan but it's just like you weren't anywhere in that house. Like this is just shoehorned in there to try to make it match up with the original movie. And, you know, I hate when they do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I hate that in one version of this movie, you don't get Michael very much. And the other one, you don't get Loomis very much because what I think of when I think of Halloween is Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis. Yeah. Um, I would even argue that Dr. Loomis is more the main character than Laurie is in the series. And they mm-hmm. bring back Lori almost as many times as they do Michael. Or not Michael, the, as, as Loomis. But, you know, I, I mean, I can't give this anything higher than a 1.5. Okay. You know, I, I reserve the one because I know that there's more of these movies coming. <laughs> but I will say that the next one is an upgrade. Yay. And this was one of the, this is probably either the second or the third movie I saw in the series. Cause I can't remember if I watched Halloween H2O or Halloween four first. And I know I watched the first one first. So, cause this Halloween H2O came out in a time where I first really started getting into slasher movies during the, the revival stage in the early two thousands with you know scream and like the late 90s and i know what you did last summer and then halloween h2o are all right around the same time urban legends another one but yeah i'm just happy that it's it goes up a little bit but from there we'll have to see how it goes (laughs) i won't try to ruin anything for you (laughs) all right sounds great well um yeah totally uh forgot to mention how Michael Myers, I mean, oddly enough, you know, kind of going along with the idea of Friday the 13th for mm-hmm. a character that doesn't speak, that there can actually be good performances and bad performances. But yeah, this was clunky. Yeah, he wasn't really the best. Yeah, he was just walking around like normal, where in the other ones he was very static and like stiff, and there was almost a personality to the way that he was moving. Yeah, very much more imposing. Yeah, this was he was just like bumbling along. 
And yeah. like, do, 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 do. Oh, stabby stab. So. Where, yeah, I mean, nobody does Michael better than Nick Castle did in the first one. Yeah. Just like his mannerisms and his movements. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. And it comes back to a, an old thing I've heard about mask and wrestlers is that the guys who can connect with the crowd while wearing a mask um, are like some of the most ad- admirable because they can't use their face to show emotion. Yeah. Where it's like, I feel like it's a very difficult thing where, you know, a lot of these slash movies, they would just get a stunt man to play like the mask character mm-hmm. because you don't see their face, but it's when they get people that have the ability to act and put them in that role that, that it seems to work better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anything else? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I know last week, uh, for the last episode, I was just like, there's no way I'm rewatching this one. Um, <laughs> but this one, I could have. I'm not saying I would have wanted to, but if time had allowed, I could have seen myself watching this one again because, as I said, it had more rewatchability for me than Halloween 5. Yeah, it's one of those movies that we can pick up more in it. But yeah. Yeah. So next time we will be talking about Halloween H2O 20 years later. And until then, be kind, rewind.